The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. Well, let's talk about Jesus Revolution today. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Thank you so much for joining us today on The Line of Fire. We are going to have a great broadcast. I believe you're going to be edified, encouraged. If you just happen to stumble on this broadcast for the first time, don't go anywhere. Your heart will be open. Your eyes will be open. Your vision will be expanded and built up. You'll be blessed. Thank you for joining us. Here is the number to call, 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884, either to talk about Jesus Revolution. Maybe you got saved late 60s, early 70s, like me, out of a hippie background, out of a drug background, out of some kind of radical, rebellious background. Maybe you got wonderfully saved then. I'd love to hear your story, not the full length of it, but just what you came out of and how the Lord saved you back then. It was an extraordinary time, but I don't want to look back. I want to look to the present, and I want to look to the future. For many years, you heard me, Michael Brown, yours truly, introduced on this show as your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. This theme of Jesus revolution has been a burning theme in my heart for many years. I've got some great clips to play for you today, a bunch of other things we'll talk about. But God spoke to me over 20 years ago that as surely as there was a civil rights movement in America— there would be a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution in our nation that would push back against the tide of social and moral and spiritual insanity, that would take back some of the ground that had been taken from us in the 60s in the aftermath, the outworking of the counterculture revolution, which continues to work itself out today in the generations that have been born since then. I've often quoted psychologist David Myers, who said that if you fell asleep in the year 1960 and woke up in the year 2000, You'd wake up to the divorce rate doubled, teen suicide tripled, reported violent crime up four times, prison population up five times, children born out of wedlock up six times, couples living together outside of wedlock up seven times. You're talking about massive cultural shifts, and most of them happened in a few short years, really, in the period of the 60s, it's then worked its way out in the generations that followed. So... Uh, I'm looking back at things from 2005, where Christian Smith and colleagues, a professor, sociologist Christian Smith, did surveys of the faith of American young people and described it then as moral therapeutic deism. Basically, that God kind of set things in motion and just wants you to be nice to other people, and that's the essence of religion and faith. Obviously, it had no teeth to it. It had no discipleship to it, not faulting the young people, saying this was the environment they were raised in. That was almost 20 years ago. So much has happened since then. So much of the indoctrinating of a whole generation, the rise of social media, the effect that that has, and on and on and on, shifts in the media, shifts in the culture. It has been dramatic. And in the natural, just looking at this through natural, earthly eyes, in, in the natural, it, 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 it says that things are going in a way that can never be repaired. They can never be fixed. There's no turning back. America is heading off a precipice. America is about to fall off a cliff. Forget about slippery slope. America is about to go over a cliff, and there is no point of return. In the natural, 
it's easy to look at things like that. However, with God, all things are possible. And there have been millions of believers for years standing faithfully. Many of you listening, you've been among them. You've held to your values. You've honored the Lord. You've raised your kids in the fear of the Lord. You yourself have sought to, to live a life that is pleasing to God and goes against the grain of the society and the grain of the world. And, and by God's grace, you have flourished. Some of your churches have flourished and, and been strong. Some of you have been called to take stands in the school system. Some of you have been called to take stands in the media, some in the political realm. But wherever it is, you've been walking out the faith, and many have been praying and fasting and crying out and seeking God. And I've had this word, this word of assurance from God for over 20 years. You have to know that over the course of these 20-plus years, I've questioned it. Lord, did you really speak that? Are these things really going to happen? Is there really going to be a change that comes? It looks like everything's going in the wrong direction. However, the same God that laid this on my heart, that there would be a gospel-based moral and cultural revolution, a pushing back in America, not that America is going to be totally Christian, totally saved, totally righteous before Jesus returns, obviously not but that there would be a pronounced shift just as we were going in one direction, that, that there would be a turning that would take back much of that ground that had been lost in reestablishing of marriage and family and right identity in God and cultural values and righteousness and, and so, so many other ways. So uh, the same God that gave me that assurance that I would see these things happen is also the same God that showed me or just I was able to have the insight looking at the culture, what was going to go wrong? I can take you back to things I wrote 10, 15 years ago, longer, detailing exactly what was going to happen in the culture. I mean, details, exactly what was going, whether God gave me insight or it was just self-evident looking at it. Either way, I wrote about it and talked about it. And, and as much as I was discouraged and or I'd say grieved more than discouraged by seeing the direction that things were going and knowing that so many lives would be hurt by it, at the same time, I was encouraged because the same God that put in my heart that light would shine is the same God that, that helped me to see that darkness was coming first. And now we've been seeing all over society. Last week, I just gave you a bunch of examples in one of the broadcasts of pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. Whole states passing laws to stand up for what's right. Pushing back against a radical leftist agenda that is so destructive to everyone, whether people sincerely believe it's for the good, it's ultimately not. There's a pushback that's been coming, but not only so, there has been a stirring in churches. There has been an awakening taking place in the hearts of many believers. I can't tell you how many reports I've just heard in the last few weeks and just get online, see another posting and a friend texting and someone calling and someone telling me face to face, God just broke out in our service on Sunday. We started the first service. We have two services on Sunday. We couldn't end the first. It just flowed directly into the second. And what do you do with all the extra people and where do the cars park and what happens to the kids and children's ministry? I mean, these are, these are genuine conundrums. And if you're, if you're part of a big enough congregation, that actually causes traffic jams in the community. But just God moving, things happening, young people flocking. I, I've, I've sensed clearly that we're in the early stages of this outpouring of the Spirit and this new Jesus revolution. And so the fact that the Greg Laurie movie on Jesus revolution comes out right as the nation is talking about revival. And remember, if you've been listening, we told you these things were coming. We told you that revival had already broken. The first waves of revival had already broken in America before Asbury got the attention of the nation. 
You know we've been talking about the, the beginnings of this, this holy pushing back, this Jesus people movement, this fresh harvest of souls and the taking back ground that's been taken from us. We're not talking about spiritual dominionism where Christians take over the country and impose our views on others. I do not believe in that. We have a democratic system we live in. We vote. We advocate for our values. We do our best to present those and show that God's ways are best. But I do not believe in dominionism. I've spoken against that for many, many years. I do not see that as biblical. I do not see the gospel coming in a top-down way. I'm talking about through our influence. I'm talking about through people waking up to what's right. I'm talking about changes in families, changes in the values of young people. That ground will be taken that has been lost. That's what I'm talking about. We've told you these things were coming. I, I journaled the end of last year. It's here. It's obviously here. It's already broken out. In fact, I went back to my journal during a prayer retreat, August 14th of 2021. God laid on my heart, be sure to have plenty of copies of the Revival Answer Book ready because you'll need them. In other words, a fresh wave of revival is about to break. When I, when I lived in Pensacola, which is Southern America, closer to Alabama than it is to, to much of the rest of Florida. You know, there's the Southern term, fixin'. It's fixin' to happen. Well, it's not just fixin' to happen. It started to happen. The outbreak is here. And now, not just everyone talking about revival, people talking about Jesus revolution. Friends, put your seatbelts on because it's about to get intense. Put your seatbelts on because we are about to see God moving in extraordinary ways. Put your seatbelts on because young people are going to be flocking to Jesus in ways we have not seen for 50 years. It has begun. It's going to happen more deeply in the days ahead. Uh, I was doing an interview with my friend, uh, Frank Turek, Dr. Frank Turek, great apologist on his show about my book, Why So Many Christians Have Left the Faith. And, And we were talking about different things and what's happening in young people. And he quoted something that he's heard from others. When I got online, I saw it's actually a, a very, very, a very common quote. And, and the quote said this, that ambiguity breeds anxiety. Ambiguity breeds anxiety. So you have a younger generation that's been raised with so much uncertainty, with spiritual leaders saying, well, no one can really know for sure with people not taking the authority of Scripture. I've even heard emerging church leaders for years talk about what I, what I parody as, the, as this, the, the celebration of ambiguity. Hey, I'm not sure. You're not sure. The Word really doesn't tell us. Well, then why are you leading us, sir? If, if you're so unsure, why are you leading Why, why not sit back until you are sure? I've heard people say, well, you know, the journey is more important than the destination. Oh, we learn a lot about the journey. But I would rather have a really bad journey to heaven than a wonderful journey to hell. You better believe the destination counts. You've had young people raised with so much uncertainty, with so many fears about the end of the age and global warming and another Armageddon, with with so many unstable homes in which they've been raised and the constant bombardment of news. It, It creates a feeling of anxiety and despair. Into this void, the Holy Spirit is rushing today And we'll continue to rush until we see a massive harvest of young people from every background. The question is, will the church be more ready this time around than we were in the days of the Jesus Revolution? As we've often said, the large number of people that came to faith or at least professed faith during that time fell away. 
Why? Many of the churches were not ready. There were not new wineskins for the new wine. There were very few spiritual fathers who were there to nurture and help young people who looked very different and had very different values. And, and there was often a lack of real teaching of repentance so that you would have people that were, oh, saved for two or three years teaching Bible studies while using LSD before they realized it was wrong. Obviously something lacking in the conversion and or discipleship process. And friends, just remember, as it was scandalous in the days of the Jesus Revolution, as it was scandalous with so many of us walking in looking so different, the church had a hard time assimilating. What's going to happen when a harvest of those who identify as LGBTQ plus come walking in in every stage of life? How will we embrace them where they are and help bring them into wholeness in God? It's time. It's time. It's time. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks so much for joining us. Friends, if you have any question on any topic that you want to talk to me about or a bone you want to pick with me, phone lines will be open. Well, they're open now. I'll take some calls later in the show. 866-348-7884. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Okay, I want to play a couple of clips for you in a moment, but I got big plans tonight. Oh, yeah, it is my monthly workout time with students from Christ for the Nations, so we'll see who shows up to hit a good workout, and you better believe I'll be using my Trivita supplements. Yeah, the the, uh, Mile Health is awesome, especially after a really intense workout. You know, I don't drink Gatorade or stuff, all the sugar and junk in it, but this is totally healthy, and it's a great supplement. So take advantage of this. Also, within the next week or two, I can't give you the exact date because I don't have it, but we are going to start our major expansion on our first big new city in America. It's coming imminently. I don't have the exact date. A great way to support us. If you've been blessed, you know the concept of paying forward, right, where you, you go somewhere and you, you pay ahead for the next customer. So it's some restaurant, a Christian restaurant, and they don't have, uh, they don't have uh, uh, prices on the menu. You say, what does it cost? Well, the less people paid for you. So then you could say, oh, I'll be super generous for the next, or I don't have any money, and, and this way the ones who pay before help. It's, it's a really neat concept, and it's a great way to do outreach and things like that. So if you've been blessed, you can pay forward to the next city, but bless yourself with these supplements in the meantime. Remember, 100% of your first order with Trivita goes to uh, support the line of fire expansion. So that number to call 800-771-5584, 800-771-5584, or go to Trivita.com. Be sure to use the code BROWN25, and a portion of all future orders also goes to support the line of fire. So teamwork, teamwork, let's get this done. Okay, Pastor Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, he is a traditional pastor, you know, jacket and tie, Bible teacher, not some hippie, not some radical. In fact, he never grew his hair long. He was always kind of a more traditional-looking guy, although the outfit changed over the years. But young people start flocking into his church. Again, I'm, I'm eager to see the Jesus Revolution movie. I haven't seen it yet. People keep getting rave reviews from people who've seen it and were there. 
when I read the book, I was really touched by it. And I thought, why? Boy, it, Greg Laurie and his co-author really paint a great picture of what things were like before we were saved and how God saved so many of us. But Chuck Smith has new people coming in. They're different. You say, well, you just accept them. It's easier said than done. Friends, it's easier to talk about how we're going to get it right and how we won't miss our opportunity and how we'll embrace people that look a little different, smell a little different, sound a little different. It's a lot easier to say it than when it actually happens. What are my kids going to think? That hippie sat right next to my, my daughter. Uh, well, I, I don't know what kind of man he is. What should I be thinking? Or, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. You know, these people high, they smell like drugs, and they're sitting right next to us. We go from there to the restaurant. We smell like drugs. We have to pass. You have to do something about it. And it's going to get more intense when people are coming in from gay, lesbian, bi, trans identities and things like that. And some of them may be testing us to see how we react. People do that. They show up at churches, sometimes even in exaggerated dress, to see how Christians react. And some of them do it because they're really seeking and want to know, hey, will you accept me even on my most extreme, grotesque day in terms of really trying to, to flaunt something and push something on you that I know you think is offensive? And then when people just reach out, love that person and see past the exterior, many times it's what opens their heart. Others come in just in total ignorance, like, hey, I think this is fine and this is who we are at the moment. It's much easier to talk about, oh, I just received them than to actually do it. So here's a clip from Chuck Smith. The band Love Song is on the platform. This is now decades later, right? But this is Chuck Smith talking about what happened when he first met the band Love Song. We were over in the little chapel, and the Lord was working. So many young people were coming out. Uh, these hippies came in. <laughs> Long hair, beards. And uh, they said, um, we have a... <laughs> yeah, he basically said, can I help you? <laughs> and they said, we're musicians. And... Uh, we uh, got saved here just a short time ago, and the Lord's been giving us some uh, Christian songs, and we'd like to share them if we could here uh, for the, you know, the young people. And I looked at them, and I thought, <laughs> it was saved just a few weeks, and uh, so I, I wanted to be, you know, sort of safe, and so I said, uh, could you um, play something for me? And so they went out to the old van, and uh, Volkswagen van, and they, uh, <laughs> they brought in their guitars and all, and uh, they started to play. And as they started to play, the Spirit... The Spirit just touched my heart, and I said, tonight we've got, this is Monday night, we've got a uh, young people's gathering tonight, and uh, how about tonight? <laughs> and, uh, and so they said, well, one of our guys is doing weekends in jail for a marijuana rap. <laughs>
Hey, not to point him out, they've all done it, you know. <laughs> they've all been arrested. And <laughs> but they said he gets off at noon, so we probably could play tonight. <laughs> so that was the beginning of uh, the music. But the song that they played that just really touched my heart was Welcome Back. Yes, yeah, so that's a perfect example. And, and when Chuck Smith says the spirit, he just broke down and started to cry, remembering how God just moved. So you realize, okay, God's moving. These guys look so different. And this guy's serving weekends for marijuana fence. They're all arrested for drugs. and They're newly saved. You let them sing. They've written new music. Do they, do they clean up first? Maybe it's a bad example for the young people. Chuck Smith had the father's heart and the wisdom to recognize it was the spirit doing the work. He had the wisdom to recognize that God was doing something. He sensed it. He recognized it. He embraced it. Now gave a place to these young people. Now, as they began to write music, as they began to use the gifts and talents God had given them, and they've just come out of the world. So obviously you don't make them senior pastors and senior leaders, but hey, play your music, sing your songs. Now it's just a way. Others have something to identify with. Others have something to come to. And, and the music, hey, it sounds familiar, but the words are so different. And the people here aren't stoned and they aren't sleeping around anymore. In fact, they're talking about how radically and dramatically their lives were changed. Well, could, could it be that this is for me too? And next thing, there's a massive harvest of souls. And of course, that was the beginning of the, the Calvary Chapel movement. So, friends, all I'm saying is hindsight is easy, but it's when it's happening today, when the Jesus revolution is unfolding today, when people are coming in. Hey, look, you're going to have people come in and testify, and they're so new they don't know they're not supposed to use profanity. I've actually heard that someone's sharing their testimony, and they use profanity, and everyone in the church bursts out laughing like, oh, oh, I'm sorry. They're that new. They're that raw. I would rather have that. I would rather have people coming in with all the baggage and we help disciple them and grow in holiness and the character of Jesus than people are afraid to come near us because they're not perfect like we are. All right, going to take some calls, 866-34-TRUTH, and I got a great clip to pray from John Wimber about another thing that happens when God starts moving. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, folks, for joining us as I broadcast live this week from our studio at Christ for the Nations in Dallas. Here today, tomorrow on Wednesday, then Fort Worth at Mercy Culture Thursday, Friday. So looking forward to these broadcasts here from Texas, live as always, 866 866- Three, four, truth. Uh, in a moment, I want to play this amazing clip from John Wimber. I've also got an exciting announcement about a resource package that we have for you that I think will really bless you and stir your heart. So we're going to get to that in a little while. But first, uh, let's, let's go to the phones. We'll start with Laura in Raleigh, North Carolina. Welcome to the Line of Fire. 
Hi. Uh, good afternoon. First of all, this is so much incredible story. You have been such a blessing on all Truth Radio. I keep well, it on 24-7. It was like for my kitten, too, when I'm gone. Um, right. I called to, um, I didn't realize this, and my sister-in-law recently told me, um, my brother passed away five years ago. Um, she told me, I didn't know this anyway, she told me that he was, uh, helped Chuck Smith, you know, with the church. Really? And, um, my brother, all I knew about my brother back then was that he'd gone out to California because he's pretty strung out. And, uh, but he, he struggled with it back and forth throughout the years, but I know where he is now, man. And because of people like Chuck Smith in his life. Yeah. That was just, that made me feel so good that his life was not in vain. That he, you know, that he gleaned so much. Mm. And, and he went on to help so many others. My brother became ordained. And, um, but um, he absolutely loved the Lord. But that he was a key, I mean, major factor in, in my brother's life. So I oh. thank you. and. You know, as, as you have been too, you know. <laughs> well, Laura, th- thank you so much. You know, we, we've been on uh, this station in, in Raleigh. This is one of the first stations we went on. So since 2008, so we're going on 15 years. So many, many of you that have listened are like family. But yeah, spiritual fathers, people putting up with the ups and downs and the idiosyncrasies and sometimes uh, people seem to get sanctified overnight. Sometimes it takes a whole, a whole while to sort things out and things we just take for granted as right and wrong. Others come in and don't have that foundation, don't have that background. The new generation that's going to be coming in droves uh, to our churches, to our house meetings, to our tents where the gospel is being preached and receiving the, the gospel in schools and workplaces Many of them are lacking a biblical foundation more than any generation in, in our recorded history since surveys like this have been done. So there's going to need to be more patience. So, Laura, thank you for that call. I appreciate it. Uh, in fact, let me segue from that into the clip with John Wimber. One of the prominent people that God used in the Jesus Revolution in California was Lonnie Frisbee. And he was certainly anointed by the Spirit. The Holy Spirit worked through him. But then he fell back in the world, divorced his wife, fell back. Exactly how he fell, what happened in terms of his sexual activity, there's debate about that, but he certainly fell back, died of AIDS. He got right with God. He, he came back to the Lord, got right with God before he passed away. You know, Greg Lurie's talked about this very openly. But here's a man that was flawed, and God used him. And, and, and then he fell, he fell away, then came back. How does that work? God works through flawed human beings because that's the only human beings there are. Aside from Jesus, every human being has been flawed in one way or another, some in ways that disqualify us from the work of ministry, others in ways that hinder us from being successful in ministry. But at other times, it's, it's in the midst of our weakness that God is glorified. I'm not talking about sinful rebellion, but in the midst of our human weakness, God is glorified. And, and God often moves through unexpected people in unexpected ways. So will we welcome the people and will we welcome God? So here's John Wimber talking about what happened, I believe it was Mother's Day 1980. Listen to John Wimber tell the story that involves Lonnie Frisbee. 
The first time that the Lord Jesus Christ sent his spirit in great power among us, I was fit to be tied for days. I was so angry. I was so upset. I wanted to get out of the ministry. I said, no way am I going to put up with Why, that's absurd what God did. <laughs> of course, I wasn't absolutely sure it was God. But even after I was convinced it was God, I had difficulty with it. And I want you to know that. When God began moving among us, and not, this particular night, we were having a church service. And, and in fact, that, that Sunday afternoon, I, I was coming out of the, the church service. It was Mother's Day of all days, Mother's Day. If you think you'd be safe in church on Mother's Day, well, I'm, I'm walking out of the church, and, and God says to me, tell that young man to preach tonight. Well, I'm not in the habit of just telling any old young man to preach in my church. And I said, and particularly that young man, because I heard he was a little strange. And I said, Lord, do you want me to have him preach? And the Lord said very clearly to me, yes. So I went up to him and I said, Lonnie, <laughs> would you like to preach tonight in my church? He said, oh, yeah, I've been waiting for the chance. I thought, oh, no. <laughs> I'm telling you, I died a thousand deaths all afternoon. All afternoon, I agonized. I said, oh, God, you got me into it again. You got me into a mess. He's going to mess my church up. And the Lord said, when did it become your church? I said, oh, that's right. That's right. Okay. So I went to church that night, and I <laughs> we worshiped extra long. I found a lot of announcements that needed to be made. But I, I, and as long as I stretched it, it was still time. And so he's sitting there all bright and alert like a kid at his birthday party. And I'm thinking, oh, you know, he looks harmless enough. All right, come on up. So he comes up and he starts speaking. And I sit down over on the side. And, uh, and I'm listening to him. And, and it's great. You know, I mean, it's, I'm thinking, what was I worried about? He was funny. He's giving his testimony. And, and there's pathos in it, you know, and Time to weep a little bit, and you, you know, and he, and you, you know, salute a couple times, and he, and he's telling you some great verses, and you're laughing, and just having a wonderful time. I'm thinking, what was I worried about? This is great, you know, God, you're so good. And then he does the weirdest thing I've ever even heard of. <laughs> Everything's going good, you know. All of a sudden, he stops and he says, "Well, that's it." He said, "You know, the church has been offending the Holy Spirit a long time, and uh, he's he's quenched, but he's getting over it." And we're going to invite him to come and minister. Now, come, Holy Spirit, and whammo! <laughs> the Spirit of God comes! Oh. It's one thing to welcome the people that God is going to be sending our way in this new Jesus revolution. Will we welcome the Spirit that God is sending our way? And how do we distinguish between that which is really God and that which is the flesh and that which is the devil? And, and how do we sort out what is the moving of God and what is just human emotionalism? What is a response, an emotional response to being convicted of sin or being set free from sin or healed or delivered? And we should respond with our heart, our soul, our mind. Uh, and what is just getting worked up? And is it biblical for people to fall or shake? Or does the Bible even address that? Will we welcome the Spirit when he comes? Will we welcome God himself when he comes, if it's in a way different than what we're used to, but not contrary to the Bible? Maybe different than our tradition or our background, but not contrary to the Bible. Will we welcome God when he comes as a refiner's fire and brings up to the surface a lot of the junk that we didn't know was even there? So friends, I mentioned earlier my book, The Revival Answer Book. It's almost 300 pages long. 
It deals with all these questions. I mean, in detail, with church history, with scripture, with logic, with reason, and even addresses, can we expect end time revival? And how do we distinguish between constructive correction and destructive criticism? We have a special resource offer I wanna make available to you the first day we're announcing it. The most important book I've written on revival in more than 25 years, Revival or We Die. A Great Awakening is Our Only Hope. It's a book that'll stir you. It'll create a hunger, a thirst, a desire, give you a picture of what real revival is like and how God wants to start right within you, in your own heart, in your own life. The book Revival or We Die, beautiful hardcover. When you order that, I want to give you absolutely free the Revival Answer Book, about 300 pages long. It'll really answer the many questions that you, you have with Scripture, grounding you in the Word, in church history, in revival history, with testimony. You'll find it super helpful. The book is free when you order a hardcover copy of Revival or We Die, only available through our ministry together. So here's the number to call, 800-538-5275. This is for Revival or We Die and a free copy of Revival Answer Book. 800-538-5ASK, as in Ask Dr. Brown, 800-538-5275. Call now, get as many sets as you want. You pay for Revival or We Die. We give you absolutely free with it, Revival Answer Book. I, I, can't, I, I wish I had a way to press a button and download the material in those books into every heart, every life. But as you partner with us, expand the work we're doing to reach more people, we want to pour these resources into you as well. I believe you'll be stirred, your heart will be stirred, your mind will be enlightened. All right, so take advantage of this special offer. All right, with that, it's looking at the clock, we got time. Let's go back to the phones and let's go to Ernest driving a truck somewhere in Michigan. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. I, I am pulled over. I'm not driving right now, but I got to share something with you. Uh, I, I'm not an ardent listener of yours. I've heard you a few times. Once on a Sid Roth program, you were debating Tobia Singer. And uh, and I've heard you a few other times on YouTube because I, I look for stuff to listen to when I'm driving. Yeah. But the other day I was reading Genesis chapter 38, verse 1 and 2. If you're able to pull that up and take a look, fine. Um, mm -hmm. But before that, I'd like to say Isaiah 46.10, God declares the end from the beginning. Mm -hmm. If we look at the Messianic line, Jesus being the, the end of the Messianic line, John the Baptist said, are you the one or do we look for another? He, for, for us believers, he's the end of the Messianic line. And if God declares the end from the beginning, is there a clue at the beginning? The beginning of the Messianic line would start with Judah correct? Because um, mm -hmm. Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So in Genesis 38, verse 1 and 2, it says in Judah, he was going, and I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the scripture in front of me. Judah was going to see a friend of his named Hira, an, an Adulamite. When he sees a Canaanite girl, uh, he likes her, and they get together, and they, they start the Messianic line. That's the beginning. My point is the girl, the name of the girl's father is Shua. Now, Judah in Hebrew is pronounced Yehuda. If you put the two together, you have Yahushua. Or right. you can be more concise and say Yeshua. All right. Hey, Ernest, we got a break here. I'll comment on the other side of the break. Appreciate the call. We will be right back. It's our resistance. You can't resist us. 
It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us. Make sure you download our app if you don't have it. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries, ASKDR Brown Ministries. This way you won't miss a single article. You won't miss a single video. You won't miss a single broadcast. You check out all the other resources, including the Real Messiah resource, which is Jewish Outreach. So, Ernest, so, uh, of course, uh, just on a, a strictly grammatical, philological point of view, you can't get rid of the, the, the Dalit in Yehuda. So Yehuda is, is, is the name in itself, and, and the root there, the Dalit, is an essential part of the root in, in the, the verb to praise uh, from which uh, Yehuda comes, the noun comes, the name comes. Uh, so it is Yehuda plus Shua would be the names of the mother and father. However, if you want to make it into a rabbinic midrash, in other words, if you want to be homiletical with it and play a word game, then you could say, yes, take the Yud of Yehuda with the Shua of Shua, and there you have Yeshua, the Messiah's name. Uh, so if, if you, again, you can't do it just based on the biblical text uh, because we, we don't have the right to play those games. However, the rabbis often played interpretive homiletical games, so not this is what the text is saying, but let's kind of come up with a playful application. So in that regard, yeah, uh, interesting observation. When you said Genesis 38, I'm thinking, what in the world? Because I know the text, like, what in the world does that have to do with Messiah? So anyway, appreciate you weighing in, sir, and thanks for listening. Drive safely. I appreciate it. And let's see. Let us go over to uh, Bella in upstate New York. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Bella, are you there? Bella's yes, gone. Yes, I am. Hi. Oh, you are. All right. Just in the nick of time. Go no, ahead. I'm still here. All right, go okay. ahead. Dr. Brown, I have a question on anti-Semitism. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have a neighbor. He happens to be from Morocco. Uh, we, we do get along. He speaks Arabic. If I disliked that neighbor, wouldn't I be an anti-Semite? Why? Because anti-Semitism is reference to anyone that speaks a Semitic language. So my question is, when did the Jews, and by the way, I'm one, when did the Jews <laughs> hijack anti-Semitism? Oh, no, no, it's, it's not how, it's not how it happened. The Jews, because we have many languages. Right, right. Hmm? No, Bella, that's not how it happened. Uh, it, it, I appreciate okay. the observation, but this that's not how it happened. You. It's a term that was developed, especially in the 1800s, uh, in Germany, by by German intellectuals, specifically referring to hatred of Jews. It never meant hatred of Semites in general. It was the term that was coined in Germany by outsiders, not by Jews, to coin the, the anti-Jewish sentiment. So it's always had a specific meaning. You know, just like the word butterfly has nothing to do with butter, right? So anti-Semitism had a specific yeah. meaning. So it does not mean... Uh, hatred uh, of all Semites or of those who speak a Semitic language. It was specifically Jew. It's always meant and only meant Jew hatred. And it was something that others came up with and has just been used. It's not a Jewish term that we co-opted or tried to mm -hmm. say we're the only Semites. It happened actually in the reverse order. It was just targeted against us uh, or used as a description against us from the start. So that's okay. The story. Because I yep. was always my understanding that it was it was a language thing, and I'm like, there's so many nope. languages. So nope. why? No, that's that's not not the history of it. The, the the term had a specific meaning, you know. 
And the words, words take on meaning based on how the culture uses them. So that's how that was used from the start. If, if you just uh, look up you know, a history of the term anti-Semitism, you'll, you'll be able to trace it back uh, just you know, a little over a century plus ago. But thank you for the call. As for Arabic, it's an amazing language, beautiful language, very rich language. And speaking of Arabic, thank you, Bella. Uh, March 20th, we have the tentative location just being locked in at a university in London for the debate with Zakir Hussein, is Muhammad prophesied in the Bible? As soon as it's, it's just taken a while for the organizers to set that up, and I've been waiting to be able to make the announcement. It's in the final stages now. But you say, I'm, I don't live near London. Fear not, fear not, because we are planning on doing a live stream and at the very least videotaping the debates so that everybody can watch it afterwards. All right, we go back to the phones with Mark in Roswell, New Mexico. Welcome to the line of fire. Thank you. And You're thanks for taking my call. I love your sure. show. I've been listening to you for years. Well, thanks. Um, let me preface my question real quick by just saying uh, I, I love the Jewish people. I love Israel. Mm-hmm. been there twice. And, uh, but, and, and I know the fact that we're grafted into the Commonwealth of Israel and you know, the wild all have grafted on. And I understand all of that. I do have to admit, though, sometimes I think for some of us we still feel a little bit, just a little bit like second-class citizens. Uh, not, can, can I, I just mean, jump I in, Mark? I, uh, it's sorry? very understandable that you can feel like that. On the one hand, reading the Bible and saying, well, that's the history of that people, and, and God made the covenant with them, and all the leaders were Jews and Israelites, and now we're kind of just brought in. You could feel like that, but what's fascinating is because the church has been overwhelmingly Gentile for almost 2,000 years that many Jews, when they come to faith, they feel like outsiders. They feel like second-class citizens. So it's, it's something that everybody can go through until we just recognize, hey, our identification is being in Jesus, and that's who makes us who we are. We are equally sons and daughters of God. There's no caste system or class system. So whatever you can do to renew your mind and heart to recognize that, that in God's status, a male or a female or a Jew or a Gentile, we have exact equal status, equally loved by God, equally called by God. But just like a man is not a woman, a Jew is not a Gentile. We each have our distinctives, and we could bring those, because without the Gentile church provoking Israel to envy, my people will never be saved. Without Gentile Christians praying me into the kingdom, I never would have been saved. So we're, we're indebted to each other. I know that's not your question, but I, I just want to yeah, interrupt no, and I throw that, that in. That. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so back to your question. Yeah, <clears throat> so... Um... But there are a few verses that um, that give me a little bit concerned. So, for mm-hmm. example, in the Ezekiel forty four nine, when it says that that God says that no Gentile uncircumcised in flesh or or and in heart will ever enter into my my house, my my mikdash, and so I, I see that, and I kind of think, does that mean not at all, or does that just mean not to serve as a Levite? But then if I go to Isaiah 56, 6 through 8, as he's saying he will gather people from the nations into his house, and this house will be a house of prayer for all nations. And then as we go to Isaiah 66, 21, it appears that he's saying that as he gathers in the exiles, he will also gather in some Gentiles and choose some of them to be Levites. So mm-hmm. it seems a little bit confusing there where it says 
some of the Gentiles will be chosen as Levites, where in Ezekiel it says none of the uh, children of the foreigners or none of the foreigners, including those who live among Israel, will ever come into my house. So could you yep. clear that up for me a little bit? That's, that's a wonderful question. First, in light of the full New Testament revelation that we have, obviously the inclusion of Gentiles in the family of God and Gentile believers having full service in the family of God and the house of God, that's, that's obviously what we believe. That's obviously what we lean into, right? So that's what yes. we know the future holds for eternity as we all serve in, in, as priests in God's eternal temple. Ezekiel 40, uh, chapters 40 through 48 raises many questions for believers because it speaks of a sacrificial system and a literal temple. So is it speaking of the millennial temple and is it speaking then not of us as believers because we're, we are now glorified with the Lord and we are with him forever. We are, we are ruling and reigning with him based on the responsibility that God's given us in the millennial kingdom. And that Israel now in the millennial kingdom serves again as a priestly nation to the other nations and the, the temple still is what it is. So in other words, could it be that during the millennial kingdom, things will function differently than in the eternal age or now in the body of Christ. So that's, that's one way of looking at it. In other words, spiritually, we're all one, and through eternity, we're all one, and each, each of us with our unique gifts and calling, but all with equal access to God. However, during the millennial kingdom, when you'll have literal Gentile nations, again, that don't know the Lord, that Israel is the priestly nation serving in that temple, so that's, that's one way to read it. In other words, a literal application in the millennial kingdom that doesn't affect you or me because we're already glorified, resurrected, but it does affect the nations on the earth. Or the, the passage is, is to teach us spiritual lessons, that, that this was a picture of what God was going to do if the Israelites obeyed when they returned from Babylonian exile because they didn't. That wasn't realized then, but it does give a picture of God's righteousness at work in the earth. So it's, it's metaphorical and spiritual. Those that would say it has a literal application, then that's just the way it's going to unfold in the millennial kingdom. Those who say, ah, oh, but that seems like it's going backwards and kind of undoing the unity that we have and taking a step backwards for these other nations on the earth, then they would understand it in a more metaphorical or spiritual way. But it, it's a great question because it does seem to have a contradiction. And to me, the most natural explanation is it's talking about two different eras. And, and during this millennial kingdom, you and I will already have been glorified and entered into our eternal status, which transcends anything on, on this earth. And that's the way I lean to understanding it myself. Yes. No, thank you. As you were saying that the light just came on and absolutely, I, I, I do understand it that way then that, yeah, in our glorified bodies, that, that, that doesn't matter anymore. Right. It doesn't pertain okay. to us. Right. Sure. And, and we are functioning. Now, people have all kinds of problems with the millennial kingdom in general because of that. But that's as best as I understand it. Hey, one day we'll get to talk about Roswell. Isn't that the famous place where all the aliens crashed? Anyway, bless you, Mark. Thank you for being a longtime listener. Back with you tomorrow. In fact, we're going to talk about can a Christian really walk away from God? Can a Christian lose his or her salvation? Or is that a misnomer? Another program powered by the Truth Network.